Governor Kevin Stitt announcing a plan today that he says will help Oklahoma schools suffering from teacher shortages because of the pandemic. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen state employees, they've answered the call, they've uh, switched and moved uh, to different state agencies where we needed help at that specific time. And right now, uh, that means stepping up to help our schools. In 2020, former McAllister Public Schools teacher Ryan Walters was appointed as the youngest Secretary of Education in Oklahoma's history. Earlier this month, with schools ravaged by the COVID-19 pandemic and the highly infectious Omicron variant, Governor Kevin Stitt announced the Guest Educator Program. The program simplified the ability for schools facing COVID-19-related teacher shortages to bring in substitutes from the outside, either from state agencies or from private businesses. The plan was met with mixed reactions. While many parents are thankful their kids are able to stay in the classroom, some are worried about the quality of education these guest educators can provide on such short notice. And many teachers already dealing with the effects of risking COVID-19 exposure in the classroom have said the guest educator program made them feel devalued and that it makes it seem like anyone can just step into a classroom and teach. On today's Listen Frontier podcast, I talk with Walters about the program, about how it will be judged as either a success or a failure, as well as about his relationship with teachers across the state and how he weighs his responsibility to both teachers and students. I really appreciate it. Um, of course. I know it's a busy week. Let me ask you to start, just to kind of let everyone know exactly what the guest educator program is about, because there's essentially there's two prongs to it, right? I mean, there's one yep. where state employees can substitute teach, and then one where yep. like a private citizen can sign to teach, right? So tell me just a little bit about the, the program in general. Yes, sir. Just to give a step back and some context, you know, the, the governor and I have been very vocal very clear in our expectation that schools do all they can to remain open. And in, in, the, in that, uh, you know, position and, and with that stance we've taken, we're always talking with school leaders, teachers across the state. And um, middle of last week, I really started to hear from some administrators that are saying, look, our substitute pools are just really drying up. And what we're finding is a lot more um, you know, a lot much more difficult time finding subs. And as I met with teachers throughout the week, they talked about how packed their schedules were to cover for subs. And that really came to be what we were hearing was the number one issue to help them stay open. And so what, you know, we started the conversation internally, the governor's team about what can we do? What, what are all of our resources? And so that's where, you know, we had the idea of the executive order to free up employees um, to have the ability to sub because there were some legal barriers in the way of an employee actually doing other work while employed by the state and retaining their job, retaining their pay, things like that. So we wanted to, to knock out all those barriers and encourage any employee that wanted to, do, to um, volunteer to do that. But then the second part, we reached out to the State Chamber of Commerce about, you know, we, we had heard of, um, in particular, Watermark Bank's initiative of allowing their employees to go sub in some local districts every week. And we thought, what if we could generate, you know, a much more intentional and strategic uh, vision of having more citizens from, you know, uh, businesses and, and communities get into the substitute teaching pipeline and just really help fill these substitute teacher roles. So that was really where the two ideas came from, is what did we have available in the government to help provide assistance to schools to stay open? And then what can we do to help streamline and create kind of a statewide network of what we had seen a few individual businesses um, start to reach out and do? Do you have any kind of update on how many state employees have signed up? I know I think Governor Stitt said something last end of last week about it being around 200 as of last week. Is that uh, accurate, Bill? 
so we, I know we had dozens that signed up before 8 a.m. this morning. Okay. Um, and I haven't checked back in in the last couple of hours. So I'm okay. not sure what has happened between 8 a.m. and about 11 o'clock. But I'm telling you, Thursday and Friday, we saw it, it ended up being really rapid in the mornings that we had a lot of people signing up. Are you tracking how many that, like uh, private citizens, people who are not state employees are signing up? Or is that all a part of that 200 and whatever it ends up being figure? Yeah, that is not part of the 200. Um, that is something that we're trying. Initially, we were um, – having private businesses just go directly to the schools to sign up, which is great, um, which we're encouraging. But now we are going to try to get a number and help that we can help connect them to schools as well, because we have had some private businesses reach out and say, hey, I want to go. I'm not sure which school needs me, you know. And so we are going to start assisting in those efforts as well to help coordinate those business leaders to the areas of most high need. So we, we, we should be able to get some numbers around that as well. But right now the numbers we're using is just strictly government employees. Okay. Uh, so, whenever we get to, I guess, whatever the eventual end of of this uh, program is, or this COVID surge, and, and and maybe the need goes away, how how will you look back and sort of judge if this was a a success or how successful it was? How you know, are there metrics to look back and say, well, this is this was the benefit, this was the, the good that it caused. Here it is. You know, we can put it in this document. Great question. What what I'm going to say is, did we get were we able to help schools stay open by providing them subs in high-need areas? Um, and, again, we're asking districts utilize all their existing resources. We're asking that school leaders utilize the COVID funds they have to help pay substitutes more. We're asking that administrators help cover classes. There have been some great stories around that as well. Of, mm-hmm. of, of, I know several superintendents have literally, you know, run bus routes in the morning, subs and class. So we're hearing these great stories, but what we're asking is that all hands on deck effort right now to help keep schools open. And so we're going to look back and we're going to say that, uh, you know, we did all we could to utilize our resources to help the schools stay open. And so keeping schools open is going to be our measurement um, of success and ensuring that we're able to get folks to those schools that, that have the highest need here um, for substitutes and, and streamline the process as much as possible. That's, that's a big effort of what we've been trying to do as well. Is that something that even beyond this maybe you'll look into? You know, I know that the governor has been sort of interested in, in cutting out red tape in, in other yes. areas. I mean, is that yes. you're talking about streamlining this process? Is that something that may hold over even after this ends? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And just to be clear, this is a short-term um, assistance to schools. That This is not – um, saying that this solves the substitute problem from here on out. Th- this does not um, help with the teacher uh, shortage issues. There needs to be long-term solutions on, in those fronts. This is not a long-term solution. This is assistance in the temporary from what we heard from schools with the need for more subs. And what we think can come from this is, is first of all, awareness and streamlining substitute teachers for schools. If we could build out a pool that schools can now rely on, and especially having the business community more interconnected to their local school district and providing them this type of assistance. We think that that will pay dividends going forward. But then number two, we feel like we have to continue to find ways to attract and retain high-quality teachers in the state of Oklahoma, and we are going to be looking at long-term solutions this session, and we will continue to be moving forward on how do we continue to ensure that we are attracting and retaining high-quality teachers in our classroom. So that this this is just a temporary assistance. That's the long-term thing that we need to be 
looking to address. And so one of the questions, you know, I, I was asking around about, you know, what what questions people had about about this program, you know. Uh, and one of the, the major questions that probably the most common one that I uh, got were, were for people, even including teachers, who were curious about the quality of the education that students will receive from these substitutes. I think everyone who's been in school probably has been in a class with a substitute teacher and even, you know, experienced substitute teachers. And, uh, you know, you're in this class and maybe it's not productive class. You watch a video and you kind of joke around with your friends and you go to the next class. That was a concern from, I think, teachers, but also parents as well. I mean, is that is there a way to ensure that that's, that's not happening? I mean, how do you, how do you know that, that the students are getting not just someone in a classroom to keep them there, but someone who's actually teaching them? Well, I'll brag on Putnam City. They reached out to our government employees and asked them what their areas would be that they would be most interested in and um, equipped to substitute teaching. So there is an intentionality from schools to say, tell us a little bit about your background. We will try to push you accordingly. But just to be clear, there is no replacement for a high-quality teacher. These, these subs are for, for temporary observation and um, monitoring of students. And what I would say is this will allow parents the option to keep their kids in person for those parents that do not have the ability to monitor their child during the day or have complications where a child at home for days at a time is very, very difficult. This does give them the ability for that child to have some normalcy and attend school with their friends, with teachers that are very impactful on them, on their mental health. And I would say the teachers that I've talked to have done a great job of, you know, they lead guided lesson plans where a sub can come in and at least continue the learning in some capacity. And again, there's no replacement for the classroom teacher but in a temporary setting, having an adult being able to monitor children, being able to, to provide an in-person instruction um, for those parents that choose that option, um, we think is vital um, for our kids. Um, and so we do think that's what we're going to be able to do in the short term with these subs. You're talking about sort of that continuation of like the daily education. That, absolutely. You know, I think about the kids that, you know, they're that one teacher that makes all the difference in their days that inspires them and encourages them. And this gives them the opportunity where, you know, maybe one of their teachers are gone, but they still get to come to school and see that teacher. You know, they, they still get to interact with that teacher that's inspiring to them, that's encouraging to them. Um, you know, I, I think about that opportunity that's being provided there. And, again, I've heard from many, many parents that talk about how difficult it is when students are at home um, to go to work, that it, that it puts them in a really difficult situation, and that if their child can go to school with their friends, um, with the teachers that inspire them, that that's, that's something that they really want to see for their kids moving forward. So I think those opportunities, um, those kind of special moments where you get that inspiration from that teacher, um, th those are special things that happen inside schools. And so the, that's why it's so imperative that we keep our schools open so that our students can continue to have all of those positive benefits that, that come from being in person in school. Yeah, and that's another um, interesting thing I wanted to ask you about. You talked about the difficulty parents face when, you know, there's an unexpected, hey, the school's shut down for a week and the kid's home and they've got to juggle somehow how to get to work. I mean, I've dealt with that. My my daughter recently, her school was shut down for about a week. So we had to figure out how we could manage her being at home and uh, still getting work done. I mean, I know it's difficult. And I, I, I'm wondering, I, this is maybe even more of a question for you in the role of as the you know, Secretary of Education. And have you noticed, you know, in the last year or two years, I feel like there's sometimes there's a, a bit of a division even between parents and teachers sometimes where 
parents are thinking, I want my kid to be in school for so they can get those experiences, but also they need to be in school because I have to figure out how to get to work and to, to make money and pay bills and do all that, where the teachers themselves are, they, you know, as much as they prefer in-person instruction, they don't necessarily want to be in the classroom if there's, you know, we're in the middle of a COVID surge. Do you, is this plan more popular with parents than teachers? I mean, do you look at it that way? Is it, is it something that you're aware that, hey, maybe teachers are not as in favor of this or not as benefited by this program maybe as parents might be? So so what I would say, and, and I have another, you know, I, I've, I've told multiple stories, but I have one from this weekend where I had a single mother break down on me about she had to have a conversation with her boss about I've got to bring my seven-year-old to work with me, and it was not a great situation, and she is now fearful of, of what that's done to her employment. And, and you know, to, my responsibility as the Secretary of Education is to represent all 700,000 Oklahoma students. And there are some students that do not have the same opportunities of, as others and have parents in the home that are able to help them with their virtual learning or able to monitor them during the day that can afford daycare. That is a, that is a, a portion of our population. And so I, I feel the responsibility um, to speak out for those students and the issues that they face. Also, to, to your point, I have heard from many teachers that have personally thanked me and reached out to, to thank the governor for helping provide them some relief because they told me the stories. I mean, I met with over 100 educators on the Thursday before the announcement, and they told me the stories of, look, I'm trying to teach my class, and I'm covering this class, and then I'm covering somebody else's class in the morning, and I'm covering three different classes throughout the day, and, I, and I'm having trouble teaching my class, let alone monitoring these other classes, and I am just stretched really thin. And so we, I have heard some very positive feedback from some educators that say, look, if this is going to help me from having to cover all these extra classes or extra duties, this is going to be a tremendous help for me. And they appreciated the attention being brought into. They are the ones that are really inside the school. It's the teachers that are doing all of the extra work to keep the doors open. Um, when it comes to monitoring of students. I mean, they're the ones feeling the pressure of it, and they appreciate the fact that we brought attention to their efforts and what all they're doing to keep kids in school. Yeah, and that, what you said about, you know, how you feel a responsibility to speak out to some students and a responsibility for the, for the students in Oklahoma. I mean, that was sort of the question that I, I'm always interested in with anyone who has an administrative job. But the story that I always tell is I had an editor once who, when he interviewed me and everyone he interviewed, he asked, "Who do you?" It was actually kind of a trick question, but he asked, "Do you think that I'm a, I'm an editor's editor or a reporter's editor? Meaning, do you think that I am viewing what goes on in the newsroom from the perspective of I'm supporting the reporters, or I'm from the perspective of I'm supporting the?" editors and like I said it was ended up being a trick question because the answer was if he was a reader's editor and he was doing what was right for the readers. But it told you a lot, right, about how he viewed his job and his responsibilities and who was sort of like first on that hierarchy of, you know, whose needs am I trying to fulfill first. And so in your role now and if you're, you know, elected, you're also running for state superintendent of schools if you're elected for that job. Do you view your – I mean, how do you rank that? Is your, your yep. first allegiance to the students and then to teachers? I mean, how does that how does that work? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. You know, my number one concern is always the kids, the students. Uh, the interest of the students, the well-being of the students is my number one concern. My number one thought is representing and supporting and encouraging all Oklahoma students. 
And in doing that, and, and so that's number one, in order to do that, we have to support our parents and give our parents options. Going back to your last point, Dylan, I mean, our parents, you know, again, if a parent once says, hey, you know, learning is so disrupted right now, I really want just a consistency of a virtual learning option where I know what they're getting every day and I can stay home and monitor the kids. You know, none of us are against that position. We want a parent to have that option. We just also want parents to have the option of if they don't feel that that is the best fit for their child, that they can have an in-person learning option as well. So to me, it's about giving parents the ability to make decisions on the best interest of their children as individuals and knowing that children are very different, they're unique. Um, so giving them the ability to make those type of decisions is important. And then, last, and then also, we have to have high-quality teachers in our schools that are supported. Um, the, the data is clear that inside a school setting, there's no more important factor to a student's success than that teacher. So to me, it's students first. It's always what's in the best interest of our kids. And how do we do that? We empower parents by giving them options and say in their child's education. And the other way we do that is we equip and attract high-quality teachers and support them to give our students the best learning environment possible. That's, that's how we get the best out of our kids. How do you – I mean, that's been, a, I think, an ongoing thing, especially since, you know, we looking back to the teacher walkouts before um, Governor Spitt was even elected. I mean, that's been a thing that's – that's been a need for a while. Are there you, – do you have ideas uh, in terms of how to attract high-quality teachers and keep them in Oklahoma? What needs to happen maybe to make that um, happen more often? Absolutely. Um, you know, this session we, we've been working on, um, you know, s some potential ways to – um, allow teachers to make significantly more money and stay in the classroom and, and provide mentorships to young teachers. I think that's very important. I think our teachers need um, the ability to make more money and stay in the classroom, but also they need the supports. And I really think the best way to support young teachers is to partner them with high-quality mentor teachers to help help them grow in their in their skill set. So I think we're going to see legislation this session um, um, that, that can help us a lot in that. But I think that those are ways that we really help attract the teachers, but also retaining teachers. I hear this from teachers all the time. Uh, they start off their teaching career and they feel isolated. They don't feel like they're supported. And then, you know, that's why our average teacher doesn't stay in the classroom for more than five years. So uh, I think that it's, it's, it's important to attract them. And I think there's ways to say, look, if you're – you know, hey, we're going to give you more money and we're going to give you potential to make significantly more money by staying in the classroom. We're also going to grow your role and allow you to do some mentoring and, and other things. And then I think it's also important to, 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 for retention to ensure that our teachers have the support. And frankly, I don't know a better support than partnering a young teacher with a fantastic teacher with experience who is doing a great job, who can help walk a teacher through so many of the difficulties of the job. Okay, that sounds good. Anything else uh, about this um, topic you'd like to talk about before I let you go? No, you know, I, I would just reiterate, you know, we want options for parents, and we think that in-person options should always be an option available for our parents, that Oklahoma schools should stay open. That's what Oklahoma parents want. Um, that's what Oklahomans want. And so I'm going to continue to do all that I can in my position um, to, to help um, our teachers 
um, to provide supports and be a voice for our parents and their child's education and, and, and ensure that our schools stay open for our kids. All right, Secretary, I really appreciate it.